Hi, I'm Mike, lead pastor at The Ridge, and this is our weekly podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our desire is for you to grow in relationship with God, connect with others, and to experience God's purpose for life by adding value to the life of another. I hope that this message will build your faith and encourage you as we seek to grow together in God's Word. Enjoy today's message. Nevertheless, we're teaching through the obscure Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And so far, we're all the way up to verse 5. Well, here it is. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. It's God speaking. He says, Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. We like this verse. It's moving, it's inspiring, it's exciting, it's hopeful. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. We like this verse. You can buy this verse. It's on posters, it's on mugs, it's on shirts. I've even seen it on this. A clock. We like this verse. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. We like this verse and I think one of the reasons we like this verse is because we don't really understand this verse. Habakkuk 1.5 is not about what many people think that it's about. Habakkuk 1.5 well, is kind of like this. So like this shirt, crap your hands, make noise. I don't think that shirt means what that guy thinks it means. Same thing with this part of the Bible. Review. Book of Habakkuk begins with a conversation. God is having a conversation with this ordinary guy called Habakkuk because things in Habakkuk's life weren't going the way that Habakkuk wanted them to go. Not unlike today. Habakkuk, I mean, there was pain in his life, and there was suffering in his life. He looked around at the world around him and and recognized pain and, and suffering was happening. Evil seemed to be prospering. And so Habakkuk, he brings his questions, he brings his concern to God. First four verses of this book of the Bible, he's just peppering God with questions. He's saying, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? God, how can you let these kind of things happen? God, do something. Which brings us to this, verse 5. God responds to Habakkuk's questions. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. We look at this and say, hooray, right? God answers Habakkuk, it's about time. So what's God going to do? Part the Red Sea or appear on the mountain? Maybe send a chariot of fire. Well, no, we don't get any of those in this book of Habakkuk, 
Rather, Habakkuk, we get something very different. In the book of Habakkuk, we get this. Verse 5 continues. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told, here's what he's going to do. Verse 6. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. That's not the answer Habakkuk was hoping to hear. A little context here. The Babylonians. In the Bible, are the Babylonians the good guys or the bad guys? They're the bad guys. You know, when the Rolling Stones name name an album after your nation, that's a clue. Some of you are thinking, Rolling Stone, what's that? Does that have something to do with Easter and Jesus? (laughs) Not even close. Uh, Here, suffice it to say this. The Babylonians, they're the bad guys in the Bible. You can read about them in the history books. When the Babylonians conquered a city, they didn't just conquer. They terrorized. Give an example. Here's one of the things that history records they did. When they took a city, they would take moms and dads and they would bring them out to the desert. And then they would dig a hole. They'd put mom and dad in the hole and they would bury them with sand up to their necks. And that's not all. Next thing they would do, they would bring their little kids. And in front of them, buried in the sand, the Babylonians would torture their children where mom and dad were forced to helplessly watch. I can't imagine that. Awful, horrific stuff. Well, the chapter continues, verse 7. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. When the Babylonians come, we'll we'll run for our lives. We'll flee. No, you won't. They've got fast horses. And even if you've got fast feet, they'll catch you. It's over. You're going to die. Verse 8. They fly like an eagle, swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. With the Babylonians, there's no mediation. There's no negotiation. They don't discuss the terms of surrender. They don't discuss terms of peace. They believe that peace comes by killing all of your enemies. And when all of your enemies are dead, that's peace. Verse 10. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities, building earthen ramps. They capture them. See, in those days, a wall around your city, that was a state-of-the-art, top-notch defense system. They can't get in here. They can't get in our city. We're safe. We're protected. We've got a wall. Well, no. This prophecy is saying not only will the Babylonians show up, they're going to show up with ramps that allow them to climb over your wall and into your city. They're still going to get you. Verse 11. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. They're strong. They're powerful. They know it and they like it. Do you understand what's going on in Habakkuk chapter 1? 
This can be a difficult part of the Bible to understand. Our goal here is to help you understand what's in the Bible. Here's what's going on in Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk is saying, God, I don't like what's happening in this world. God, when are you going to step in? When are you going to do something? God, what's your plan? And then God answers Habakkuk and says, Okay, Habakkuk, I have a plan. I am going to do something. Here's what I'm going to do. Israel has been blowing me off. So I am going to send the Babylonians to defeat them, to conquer them, to send them into exile and to get their attention. That's my plan. You ever been there? God, what's going on? God, why, why is this happening? God, God, where are you? What's, what's going on with God? What's the plan? What's the plan? Tell me the plan. Habakkuk chapter 1. You might not want to know the plan. Probably not the message you expected to hear in a church. But it's right here in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. Look at the nations and watch, and be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people. They didn't want to hear that. The theological word for what's going on here in Habakkuk chapter 1 is this, sovereignty. The old hymn put it this way, said, this is my father's world. Unless we never forget that though the wrong seems often strong, God is the ruler yet. Saying this Despite how things may look today, despite what you may be seeing today, this is God's world. He rules, he reigns, he's sovereign. God, he doesn't ask for our permission. God, he doesn't need our approval. He doesn't tell us his plan ahead of time and then ask for us to give him a thumbs up. He doesn't do that. God knows what he's going to do, and he knows when he's going to do it. It's sovereignty. Sovereignty of God. Uh, Let me give you a little sovereignty test. Uh, Take a look at this image. Is there anything in that picture that bothers you? If you're going, stop, stop, evil, you'll be gone with that evil cookie that's turned the wrong direction. If that's you, then you might have a few control issues. And you're probably not going to love the biblical teaching today that talks about God's sovereignty. Why? Well, here's why. Because we want to be sovereign. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We like to think of ourselves as autonomous beings. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. We have these delusions of our own sovereignty. 
And it's really tempting to do life based on my skills or based on my ingenuity or based on my competency. I'm capable, I'm competent, I'm in control, but you don't have to live very long to recognize stuff happens. Stuff that we don't want, stuff we don't like, stuff we don't have control over. Blood vessels burst. Viruses attack. Drivers miss stop signs. In those kind of moments, it becomes clear, I'm not in control. And it's not just in the crisis of life, it's in all of life. Birth happens. Growth happens. Puberty happens. Nobody votes on that. Would you vote yes on puberty? No, we don't get that choice. Things happen. We're, We're limited. We're all limited. We have limited power, limited time, limited scope, limited understanding. God, God does not. You want to hear what in my mind is one of the most mind-blowing verses in the entire Bible. It's this one. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Just God, only God, that's it, that's all. In the beginning, God. No one creates him. No one gives birth to him. He has always been. And when God said, let there be, there was. No such thing as nitrogen. Now there is. No such thing as stars. Now there is. No such thing as trees. Now there is. Imagine that kind of power. God's not going, oh, it's day six. I need to finish up those mountains. I might need to pull an all-nighter. <laughs> he doesn't have to do that. God, he, he says, let there be, and there is. God puts that this way. Isaiah 46, verse 9. He says this to us. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. In other words, God is sovereign. He is the highest authority. God is at work even when you and I, he's at work even when we don't see it. And that, that should take an enormous load off of you. Point of clarification. Because I recognize that, you know, some of you, possibly many of you at some point in your life have been victims. And, you know, when you hear things like this in church, it doesn't 
help, it, it hurts. You're thinking, if God is sovereign, then why did that happen to me? Well, understand this. The sovereignty of God doesn't mean that God orders the abuse of children. The sovereignty of God, it doesn't mean that God orders rapes. The sovereignty of God doesn't mean that God orders, you know, the murdering of innocent children and, and people. No, the sovereignty of God doesn't mean that everything that happens happens that way because that's God's will. There are a whole lot of things in this world that happen that aren't God's will. Right? We, a lot of things like that. We, we call them, what well, we call them sin. God He has given humanity some freedom. And the early chapters of Genesis show, well, we abuse that. Sin enters into the world. And because of that, evil has infiltrated. And sin and Satan, they wreak havoc directly and indirectly. It's woven into our system. See, sovereignty, that doesn't mean that it's all God's will, but it does mean God is bigger, God is stronger. God, he can take what is bad and he can bring some good out of it. He can heal it, he can restore it, he can redeem it. God, anything in your life that could use a dose of that? (laughs) You a hurtful past, a wounded heart, a bad decision. God is sovereign. He can heal it. He can flip it. He can take bad things and he can bring good out of them. God, he doesn't waste a tear. God, he doesn't waste a hardship. He's good. He's sovereign. He can heal it. He can redeem it. So Habakkuk chapter 1, sovereignty of God. What's God inviting us to do with his sovereignty? Verse 5, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. God's saying, well, believe, accept, Trust in his sovereignty. Because believing and accepting and trusting God's sovereignty, that, that is where you will find peace. Man, if you're looking for peace, if things are stirred up inside of you, God's saying through this biblical book of Habakkuk, the sovereignty of God, believing and accepting and trusting that, that's where you will find that inner peace. See, in the book of Habakkuk, God is showing us that he's not just a local tribal deity. He's not merely the God of Israel. He's showing he's the God of the entire world, sovereignly raising up the Babylonians to be his instrument of discipline for his people. He's the master craftsman who's shaping history according to his ends and for his purposes. He's good and he's sovereign. Something unfortunate has happened in our day. You know, the Bible has ceased to be primarily understood as a book about God and has more and more and more been used to be a book about me. How can I be happy? 
How can I be blessed? You know, what are the five steps to inner healing and make it an acronym? The problem with that approach to the Bible is that's not what the Bible is. At the center, the Bible, it's the self-revelation of God. God. It's about Him. His nature. His character. His ways. And He's not asking for our opinion. Right? He, he's showing us who He is. He's showing us how He's designed this world and, and how we can live according to His design. Being made aware of that and remembering that, that can change our perspective on life. Let's do this. I'm going to have us read an example of this. It's Isaiah chapter 40. Listen for who this is, what it's telling us about God. Isaiah chapter 40, I'll start, says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. Join me. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. Join me. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. How would your life be different if you believed that? I mean, really, deeply believed that. If you embrace, if you trust in the sovereignty of God, is there any anxiety that you're dealing with today that if you embrace the sovereignty of God that that anxiety would disappear? Any fears that you're wrestling with today that if you would embrace and truly believe and trust in the sovereignty of God, that fear, it would go away. Any loads, burdens that that are heavy that you're carrying today that if you truly embraced and believed and trusted the sovereignty of God, they would lighten. See, Isaiah chapter 40 tells us how believing and trusting in God's sovereignty, how that changes us. Here's how that chapter ends. Verse 31, those who hope in the Lord and hope, sometimes this used, the word used there is wait. That means context of it. Those who believe and accept and trust in God's sovereignty. Those who hope in the Lord, here's what happens when we do that, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. He's saying when we embrace and trust in the sovereignty of this God of ours, we will be filled with hope, with strength, with peace. Well, the sovereignty of God. If ever there was a time that looked 
like God wasn't sovereign? It was that time when Jesus was on the cross. I mean, imagine. Imagine being a witness to that. Where's where's God? Where is he? Well, he's right there. Which one? Well, he's the one on the cross. He's the, the bloody beaten one who's dying. What? Him? That guy on the cross? You're trying to tell me he's sovereign? He doesn't look very sovereign. He doesn't look like he's in control. He doesn't look like he's winning. He looks like he's losing. It doesn't look like his plan is working. It looks like his plan is failing. Whose plan was it that Jesus would die? Jesus knew On the night before the cross, he gathered with his closest followers and he took a loaf of bread. He said to him, this, this is my body. And what he meant by that is, you know, for most of all eternity, I've been up in the heavens. You know, for most of eternity, I've been there with God the Father on the throne. But I have come I have come to earth. I am here in the form of a human. Jesus said, this is my body. And I want you to know why. I want you to know why I did that. I want you to know why I'm here. I'm here because of sin. I'm here because there's sin. I see it. I'm not blind. I see what's going on in this world of ours. There's sin in this world. And it's not just in this world. It's in you. It's in me. And the reality is, we can't, we can't change that. We can't make up for that. You know, we can't do one really good thing today and have that make up for one really bad thing that we did yesterday. It doesn't work that way. And so Jesus, what he's doing when he came, he's saying, you need to be rescued. You need to be saved. And so he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. He he knew about the cross. He willingly gave his life on the cross saying, I've got you covered. I'm paying for that sin debt. I'm taking it away. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup, well, this is my blood and it's going to be poured out for you. That's Jesus saying, man, here's what I want for you. I want you to experience freedom freedom from sin and freedom from shame and freedom from guilt. I want that for you. I want you to experience forgiveness. I want you to experience, you know, joy and hope and peace. You know, at the cross, God turned the greatest evil into the greatest good. And that Now that's what you call sovereignty. One more thing, and that's this. Do you know what Jesus said next? It's kind of interesting. We kind of forget about this part. 
No, Jesus, he took the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. And then he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you. He said one more thing. After that, he said, we'll do this again. We're going to do this again in my kingdom. In other words, there's going to be another day. There's going to be a better day. See, Jesus, he knew about the cross and he knew about the resurrection. See, when I mess up, this reminds me there is hope. When my life hurts, this reminds me there is there is peace. God is sovereign. He does have a plan. There is a cross and there is a resurrection. You can count on that. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.